from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200-WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt a 20-year internet security veteran. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking security in the cloud, uh, all about software development, uh, this blockchain stuff, and what is GDPR, uh, the new acronyms there. Industry's always coming up with them. Every industry has them. I think tech thinks they're worse than everyone else, but they're not really worse. Uh, But we do have our own acronyms, uh, and I'm joined this week uh, by the CTO of uh, one of our tech companies here in uh, downtown San Antonio in our tech district on Houston Street, Jacek Materna of a company called Assembly. Jacek, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, great to have me. Yeah, so uh, give us a little bit of background. To that. How did you uh, get to where you're at and here into San Antonio, and uh, what does Assembly work on? Yeah, great. So a uh, little background on myself. Um, originally from Canada, been in San Antonio eight years. Uh Long background in cybersecurity, had a bunch of businesses up in Canada, uh, some successful, some not. And then 08 came in, uh, interesting times for small startups, uh, opportunity to move to uh, the United States. So I've been in uh, San Antonio now for eight years, like I said, and uh, Assembla is a uh, B2B SaaS company that was bought by Scaleworks about, I'd say, 20 months ago. And so I came in uh, with a few of the team members over at, uh, at Scaleworks. So we put together a team. We've been uh, growing the business for, for about two years now here on Houston Street. And um, we're really in the business of source code management and security. So I think of it as kind of a more enterprise version of Dropbox uh, for software developers. Um, and we support all types of different customers and it's uh, all cloud-based, so um, you know, supporting, like I said, security environments, uh, small teams, people that are just starting companies, gaming studios, and stuff like that. And uh, like I said, we're just across the street here, so yeah, uh, yeah from our, our CyberTalk Radio studios, we can look out the window and uh, see your team from over there. Yeah, exactly. They're they look busy selling product, which is good. See that right there. That's excellent. Yeah. So for those of you uh, that are a little bit less technical in our audience, that's okay. Everyone starts somewhere and will learn. So the 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 uh, SaaS software as a service. So that's all these things that you consume uh, over the internet these days. Um, it, Dropbox is an example of one. Uh, but your email, if you've got email from Google or Microsoft or any of those folks, that's all software as a service. That just happens to be email as a service. So Assemblit manages the source code that people use to build software uh, as part of that platform and product. So security is paramount there because if, uh, as Mark Andreessen said, software eating the world, if you've, you've got that source code and you have access to that, then you have access to the keys to the kingdom and to really important things for uh, your customers and uh, very important things for their businesses, their investors, and uh, their s- stability in their future. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, everybody's probably seen the recent news about, you know, there's been the Equifax thing. Uh, recently, I think there was something on Uber, uh, you know, talking about, you know, they were hiding a data breach that, that went on in, I think, 2016. 
Um, you know, so everybody's been hearing about data breaches and what's happening. And, and when you look at it, what's interesting is, you know, sometimes it's a really simple reason, you know, it's, it's sometimes not really malicious, you know, it's not some kind of nefarious actor. There, there's basically, you know, a lot of different stuff that goes into making cloud software work, uh, or businesses work. So somebody puts, you know, secret password up in, uh, a source control system in the cloud. And, you know, maybe they don't think about the security side of it or, you know, double check stuff. And then it gets compromised and the keys to the kingdom yeah. go with that. And, and so it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, in the sense that, that it's just, it's a simple thing, right? You've got really important 20 letter password that opens up databases databases yeah Yeah. Yeah, in the uber example yeah so um on that one one of their engineers checked in production credentials into their source code system that developer or operations engineer or if there's the whole devops blending and we'll talk a little bit about um, how that stuff works now that the blurring line that in that case um, one of those folks got their credentials compromised somehow. Someone gained access uh, via their user to that source code repository, and then they were able to go authenticate to the production system and pull down information about 57 million of us that took an Uber ride or drove around uh, as a driver on Uber. Um, they still haven't been very clear. And I, I've used the service. Uh, we probably all have, uh, almost everyone listening here, and not very specific about what information uh, was contained in that. They've said it's not your credit card or not certain things that they do have to disclose. So, um, and it's not specific addresses in your trip history. It's really uh, vague, and that's frustrating from a customer perspective. On the disclosures, you would prefer to have an idea of what information is out there because if you don't know what it is, it's hard to protect yourself. I mean, Equifax, while it was basically every adult in America compromised in that one. Um, they were at least pretty specific with what information was contained in the records that were uh, leaked in that case. Yeah, and um, it's just interesting. I I was having a call this morning uh, with a partner of ours, uh, HackerOne out of San Francisco, and they do, um, they're they're a kind of a hacker bounty uh, vulnerability program. Uh, What that really means is uh, they have white hackers that are, uh, you know, the good guys that, basically hook up with companies and they get incentivized to, you know, test systems for vulnerabilities and, uh, you know, think of it as kind of a super testers. They're, they're, they're looking at the security side of the house. And, uh, I think Uber is one of their customers. Uh, it's one of their key customers. And what's interesting about it is that they're, you know, they talk about vulnerability disclosure programs, you know, as a first step, that you know, it's super important to let customers know early or when it happens that there there's been a compromise. But it seems like I said, there's still still a lot of companies that are operating in some kind of stealth mode uh, or or kind of a let's not disclose it. And, and I think you know, probably the Uber case may be the tipping point. Maybe there'll be another one, but I think it's going to change. You know the. CEO, I'm sure, is asking people, the new CEO. Yes. He's asking interesting questions in the sense of, I know he kind of, I think, knew about it before they went, you know, at a certain point. He knew about the actual breach before, but still, it, it kind of begs the question of, hey, you know, if you're if you're a customer of a service 
any kind of service, email, Outlook, Yahoo, uh, you know, they've all had issues disclosing yeah. information timely. Yeah, Yahoo sat on theirs for years. I think if it probably wasn't for the Verizon due diligence and Verizon's had a pretty strong security team uh, that they built up through the years that did some audit analysis there. And, and during that acquisition of Yahoo uh, by Verizon, all of these different disclosures came out. Exactly. Yeah. So I, th I think we're going to see a, a lot more corporate, hopefully some corporate governance around that. I mean, uh, ultimately, it's going to be the customers that are going to make the most impact. So, you know, if if a company uh, is losing, you know, brand faith and, and, and customers, that's going to ultimately be obviously the thing that changes behavior. But hopefully it'll be a bit more proactive. You think there's some fatigue around this? It's just everyone feels like all their information's been leaked so many times. Does it even matter anymore? Uh, that's a great, great point. Yeah. You know, there's probably a lot of that. I mean, I, I hear that as well. They're kind of like, well, you know, it's it's already out there everywhere. Yeah. You know, so what's another leak? So uh, it's a good question. Uh, yeah. it, it's an it's an interesting one. And while certain people may have some portions of your information, it's not um, that everyone has complete access to all of your, inf your information. I know the stories about the LifeLock CEO who put his own social security number up and said, go ahead and try to steal my identity. And because he did that and made himself a high profile target, he had folks that were constantly uh, trying to steal his identity and, and commit fraud on his, his own identity, his account. It made their service probably better ultimately over the time, but he individually had issues for years because of putting his social security number up on the side of uh, trucks and billboards and other places. It was his actual social security number. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I, I think, you know, uh, people tend to also forget as well that, um, you know, there's, pro there's, there's certain even easy steps, like everyone on the call that's, that's uh, listening, you know, even if you're not super technical, you know, if you're using something like email, you know, as an example, um, you know, everybody may be familiar with, you know, uh, some of the extra security that some of these services offer. Uh, you know, where you get a text message that says, hey, you know, you've logged in, please confirm your code. And so uh, what's interesting about that is that, you know, even that's kind of insecure. And, and it ends up being that, you know, you can call into a Verizon and AT&T and, and I'm sure they've got some processes in place now. But uh, in a lot of cases, people have had their phone numbers. Yeah, this been, is a common Bitcoin wallet theft technique. Exactly. They've been, you know, hey, I know your address or a couple piece of info. And, and the, uh, the person in the call center, you know, pushes some kind of button in the, the system and suddenly your phone number is somewhere else. And then, you know, your account's been compromised. So it could be email or, or a wallet, Bitcoin wallet, whatnot. So, you know, get back to the whole deal around, uh, you know, data being out there. Uh, I still think, you know, it's, it's important to, uh, think about, you know, what your, what data you're putting out there. And, and when you're looking at services, I think it's important to look at the, what's their approach? No company's uh, perfectly secure, but is security part of their mission? Or is it kind of a marketing thing? Or is it a like non-existent point? So uh, I think consumers are gonna be 
asking more of those questions. Yeah. And even if you're, you're with your cell phone carrier, a good question to call up and ask them is, uh, can you uh, turn off or disable or block all attempts to uh, transfer your phone number for the phone number portability? So what will happen in many cases is your account's not locked, um, I think, by default. And the hackers will go to some smaller mobile operator, and that smaller mobile operator has a trusted relationship set up with the bigger carriers to where they say, hey, we signed up a new customer and we want to move the phone number over. And they they get to go that route. With your current carrier, you can call, and, and many of them support flagging your account to block phone number portability by a request by other carriers, and then to where you have to go specifically into um, and start the request and initiate it from your current carrier instead of allowing somebody else to initiate it and pull your number um, on over. So. Uh, yeah, with all of these things, it's pretty complicated, tricky to stay secure, which is why, I mean, we see Bitcoin wallets being stolen with this multi-factor SMS, which is the text messaging service on your phone, the the hacks from that on a on a regular basis. Uh, Bitcoin wallets are these digital wallets where you, you it's your digital bank account effectively uh, for the Bitcoin, your cryptocurrency, all that, that new blockchain stuff that folks are talking about. And uh, hackers are going after that and robbing Bitcoin banks effectively the way they used to rob banks in the Wild West. It's kind of the Wild West and the Internet again. Yeah, absolutely. So as you guys are, are taking care of folks' uh, source code on a regular basis, uh, how how do you think about authentication into a platform that holds information that valuable? Yeah, so what we do is... Um, you know, most of these companies, their core intellectual properties stored on these systems. And so um, what we try to do is, you know, we offer different approaches to security and we, you know, we make recommendations around, hey, you know, uh, all your users should have, you know, multi-factor authentication, you know, this and that. You shouldn't be sharing uh, account passwords and different things. Uh, unfortunately, what's happening, though, is that it's one of those especially when you're dealing with uh, teams that are, you know, focused on building stuff like, you know, developers that want to, you know, just get products out uh, move secure fast and break things. Yeah. They want to move fast. And because, you know, they have a deadline uh, they've got, you know, a hundred things to finish security tends to kind of take a, a, a secondary seat, you know, so they're, they're, they're doing little shortcuts uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get stuff done quickly and it, what we end up having to do is, is we just have a, you know, we're monitoring it. We're, we're, we're letting customers know if certain things are happening, if, if they want to know about that. But ultimately it's one of those things where you sign up for the service, here's the available options. And if a company decides to uh, put their trusted stuff up in a, in, in, in the cloud, but doesn't go through any kind of diligence, educating their team saying, Hey, you know, this is our core stuff, uh, do this, 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 and that, you know, there's not much we can do beyond just like, you know, recommending it. So I, we, we still see a lot of companies not go through a full suite of security, uh, kind of post-deployment stuff. And I think that's, what's interesting about it is I, I don't think that's happening anywhere. Uh, so that brings up kind of a question about, you know, what is it? Is it security? Is it, is it uh, too uh, burdensome to, to implement? Is it, 
is it uh you know what it, what is the issue there and and i think uh it's kind of something to dig into yeah and is there any going back though is like you talk about using the cloud it almost sounds inevitable like you have to if you're not using the cloud you can't go quickly you can't build software with distributed teams very effectively um is there the option if if i'm an individual could i just unplug from the internet at this point in my life you know uh probably you probably find some way to doing it but it'd be a difficult path you know uh you'd have some kind of uh server in your closet connected to something uh power outlet for sure vga line to a monitor and and you probably could do something with your cell network but that's connected to the internet too at some level so yeah you could see that being pretty difficult because you yeah. can't you can't get any new um you know, the center of excellence is in the cloud now for, you know, new tools, new new apps. Everybody's, you know, look, look at the new generation, you know, they're growing up on their phones, everything's, yeah. whether they see it or not, it's always chatting with everything else. Um, you look at blockchain, I mean, blockchain is effectively a super chatty, you know, network of, of, of users and, and computers. That's what makes it effective, but you gotta be plugged in. No, I mean, I think most folks under the age of 30 at this point don't have a physical checkbook. Like if you have to get a check, they will digitally, they might know what the account number is and you can kind of do an online ACH, but physically actually writing out a check is something that like you, you only do if you're uh, in a really odd situation. Maybe you're traveling overseas or something, but it's not anything you you physically do these days for yeah. paying for stuff. It's all digital to check your credit card balance to um, all of that stuff is all online. It's all an app. It's all connected to the internet going through on the software development. So we talked a little bit about development and operations uh, kind of uh, coming together and most tech startups are doing this now, but this is even kind of spreading into uh, larger, more well-established organizations where uh, you have a, a sharing of duties now between the people building things and the folks running the application infrastructure. As, as you think about the security implications of this, is it uh, this model making stuff better, worse? H how is uh, DevOps impacting the security world? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we um, so so there's definitely kind of a uh, a shared responsibility now, uh, you know, the, the coin term is called DevOps. Uh, all it means is, you know, as developers and operators uh, are working together uh, on the same kind of projects. There's not, not anymore this kind of throw it over the fence model. And, and all of it is because things move so quickly. You look at an Amazon, if you go onto their website to buy something and you've probably bought something in the last few days, uh, you know, they're developing and, and putting new capabilities out hundreds of times a day sometimes. So they're tweaking things and changing. And, and so that, that whole process, the, the teams that do all of that, uh, you know, call them the DevOps teams, um, you know, they, like I said, they work together to, to make it happen. And they're doing it so quickly, you know, they say 100 times a day. How could you, you know, how is it possible to, you know, look at the quality of it or, hey, is it, are we introducing new vulnerabilities into Amazon? So there's a new feature on the website, let's say, you know, how could you, if it's a hundred times a day, how could you uh, ensure that it's secure? And I think the answer to that is um, 
But the only answer to it at that speed is you've got to bring in new technologies that automate or help the the people, uh, you know, do more with less so they can, you know, they, they can scan the code or they can quickly assess like, hey, it's a red, you know, yellow or green, you know, only when it's green should we deploy it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, AI, you know, there's all these different kind of terms that are floating around. So any kind of automation or tools that'll help you, you know, do a task in about five minutes that used to take maybe months, uh, is, is where things are at. And I think from a security perspective, like I said, if the tools aren't there to do that, but you're moving quickly, then I think that's where you have big problems because you've got companies that are if, if they're not thinking about security in that process, then all they're really doing is moving quickly and potentially, uh, you know, it's, they have great products or, or things look great. It's always uh, getting what the customers need, but security could be uh, catastrophic because there's just nobody that can look at that stuff at that pace. Uh, so I think security needs to be kind of part of the discussion for small, you know, small companies. Um, and I think today the biggest thing we've heard is that it's just an expertise. I mean, the security is kind of black magic world. You know, you have to be this signals intelligent expert. I mean, that's the kind of, uh, the, the perception that that's what the skill set you need. But in reality, you know, developers, uh, people that are building the software operators, you know, if they've got the right tools to help them and some education, uh, they could be pretty effective at, you know, helping uh, the software be secure, you know, when they're building it. So I think it's just an education thing. It's it's companies thinking about security uh, at, at like, a you know, it's part of their mission. So, you know, the executives down say, hey, the developers can't just do whatever they want. Yeah, we, we got to have security. Uh, we got to embed security. We got to spend money on security so that. Our customers know that we're building products that are, you know, we've done our diligence. Yeah, it's it, it's not just a, a pure technology problem on a standalone uh, either. It's one that requires both the technological controls, but people to implement those in a process that has quality checks uh, built in. So if you, you think about a, a physical analogy, I can go buy the fanciest alarm system for my house. But if you don't plug the cameras in properly, if you don't point them in the right direction, if you don't set up the laser beams to be able to, to connect in a line where someone's going to trip it as they walk through the room, if you don't do all of those things properly and you don't have somebody else come through and double check it, it doesn't matter that you bought the fanciest alarm system in the world. So you have a bunch of companies that will throw potentially some money at this. They'll go buy the latest, greatest whiz-bang set of security software and tools, but then like in the Equifax uh, scenario, so some of the information that came up about that one is that there was a database there, no encryption turned on. The database supported encryption, but it wasn't turned on, and they had a default username and password on it. So uh, the hackers didn't have to do anything advanced. Like They're like, well, this is a database. Some This version of this database, let me put in the default super user name and the default super user password. Oh, look, I'm in. Oh, and look, here's all the tables that have all the information in it, and there's no encryption key stored separately somewhere else that you need to go decrypt them. So um, this is, is one, if you don't have that process baked in, if you're not being thoughtful about these things, 
uh, then you end up leaving information behind or you, you end up creating vulnerabilities um, where you aren't even aware that you, you had them because you have bought all of them. Equifax, I'm certain, owns encryption software. Uh, and I'm certain that they have a process that says production databases aren't allowed to have default usernames and passwords, but the process didn't get followed. The technology that they own didn't get used, and uh, 100 million plus records later, um, they're out there in someone else's hands because the hacker only has to be right once. Um, the folks that are trying to keep stuff safe have to be right all the time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break here for a news, traffic, and weather update at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Jacek Materna from Assembla, one of our, our tech companies here in uh, San Antonio, in our tech district, uh, forming downtown. Uh, it's good to see uh, ScaleWorks, a local uh, kind of venture, private equity, tech, cool company uh, that runs and operates a whole bunch of uh, different businesses. Uh, Finally moved in uh, next door to the CyberTalk Radio Studios. We can look out the window uh, over there and see the uh, the rest of your team uh, working hard away. We can uh, see the construction uh, transforming downtown. If you've not been in uh, downtown San Antonio in a while, uh, come on down for the uh, kickoff of our 300th year, our tricentennial. Uh, there'll be some great fireworks. There's a whole new open lawn and big area over by Hemisphere Park where they'll be holding that here at the start of the year. Uh, and uh, on through the year, you're going to see a San Pedro Creek, kind of a whole new river walk and all sorts of things opening up, uh, transforming downtown. So if you're one of those folks uh, in our listening audience that lives uh, outside the 410 loop or outside the 1604 loop, uh, the downtown has turned into more than just the Alamo. It's still here. Um, they haven't changed it yet. If you don't want it changed, uh, you should get involved to uh, talk to your city council, uh, talk to folks in a preserve that Alamo Plaza if, if that suits you. If you'd like to see it change and transform, uh, speak up and get involved. But uh, there's a lot going on downtown. Um, tech companies is uh, one thing uh, centered around uh, geekdom and this uh, whole ecosystem that started over the last five years. Uh, it's uh, growing in this area and uh, out all across the whole city. If you missed the uh, first half of this and you just happen to be turning on the radio right now, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast and a replay of this episode and uh, all of our uh, CyberTalk Radio on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as on iTunes podcasts or Pocket Cast or your favorite podcasting app on an Android device. Uh, if uh, you happen to be listening to us on that uh, replay right now, thank you for tuning in and uh, enjoying some CyberTalk Radio. Uh, you can give us suggestions, feedback, and other things uh, on our website. We're also on Facebook, uh, CyberTalk Radio, and uh, Twitter, cyber talk radio as well so jason again thanks for the good discussions we were talking a, a little bit about some of the trade-offs between speed and security and and how uh folks are having to work through this and we hinted about 
this regulatory requirements in a lot of areas. If you're not a healthcare company, you can kind of do security in in your own way. There's not a lot of descriptive stuff. If you're taking credit cards, maybe you've got to protect that credit card information, but that's not even really a law. PCI is just an industry set of standards. If you'd like to take credit cards in your website, you should follow that one because if not, then the banks and the credit card companies will not allow you to do it anymore. That's not even a law. Now, HIPAA, um, that healthcare one, that is a law. Can you help our, our audience learn a little bit about uh, how are their medical records getting secured and, and what has happened out there uh, from a, a legal perspective around uh, those electronic medical records? Yeah, thanks, uh, Brett. So, you know, in terms of uh, HIPAA, so HIPAA is a, uh, you know, it's a legal framework specifically directed at, you know, uh, EMR, electronic medical records. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty wide-ranging uh, set of parameters around, you know, how, you know, your information is secured, you know, who, who should be accessing it, how, how companies should be, you know, sharing it with, with other companies, you know, hospitals maybe sending EMR records between themselves. Those, those HIPAA releases we all sign every time you go anywhere. That's right. Exactly. That, all, that, all that stuff is, is, is uh, thanks to HIPAA. Um, and, and, you know, it's, what it's really done is it's created, you know, an ecosystem and a, really a, a framework where companies have had to build products or hospitals have had to spend a lot of money uh, to invest in security, which is a good thing because, you know, your records are uh, very, very important. And so in a lot of ways, it's been um, uh, really good, you know, from a, from a security perspective because most of these uh, EMRs or your records are now digital. And so whether it's email or, or other means, uh, they're being shared. So it's not just a, a letter in the envelope uh, being sent uh, on a postal truck. Um, it's now over the internet. Um, so again, the security is super paramount there. It's going through the cloud, as they call it, uh, in a lot of cases. Um, when it comes to an area that's been interesting in HIPAA that uh, is, is often not uh, discussed is uh, again back to this this source code uh, or the, the the code that goes into building these 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 applications. So imagine going into your doctor's office and you know you go to the front desk, you, you give them your information. And they're they're using they're typing some stuff in the computer. Uh, they're using some kind of software to look up your info. Uh, you know maybe your appointment whatnot. And so that software is talking to a whole bunch of other software somewhere, you know, could be in the office, could be over the internet, whatnot. Uh, effectively, at some point, that that application or that software is is looking, you know, it is looking at your records. You know, it's it's putting them on the screen. It's 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 looking in some kind of database. So, um, an area that we're seeing uh, a lot of uh, a lot of change in is that. Other than just securing your records over email or over the, the, the sharing of the information between, uh, you know, parties like hospitals and whatnot, looking at the software team, sort of the, you know, who's building these applications? You know, is it companies in the United States? Is Canada? It could be built anywhere in the world now. So when they're building these applications, those applications uh, are, are really looking at the electronic medical records and they're going to be really subject to the same HIPAA requirements because they're kind of looking at the EMR. Uh, and so that's been a, a kind of an eye-opening discussion with a lot of at least customers that, that I talk to where 
they think HIPAA is just about your records. Uh, and they're not thinking, well, we've got all these cool applications that our doctors love and it lets them collaborate and whatnot. And, you know, but nobody's thinking about the security of those applications. So if, if somebody uh, puts a, something nasty in one of those applications uh, that is looking at your records, right, because they're presenting it to the doctor on their iPad, whatnot, then there could be, you know, there's a vulnerability. Uh, you know, they could effectively take your records and ship them somewhere, uh, and which has personal information. Uh, so again, it's a new area uh, for HIPAA around the software that that powers these cool apps that doctors are loving because it makes things quick for them and easy. They can look up stuff really quickly. So, um, like I said, it, at a general level, it's it's a it's a still a booming field because. The medical industry is uh, still going digital. Uh, they got a long ways to go, but one thing's for sure is that you know the hospitals and the doctors that have adopted new tools to you know go faster. Uh, they you know they love the tools. You know it's they can't once they start they can't stop because it makes their their whole workflow so much simpler. And like I said, it's important to have. Uh, security be a topic of discussion. So when they're buying those apps, they should they should ask those questions. You know, so and at least that's what we're we're hearing. And I think it's an interesting evolution of of HIPAA as as apps become you know commonplace in in hospitals and doctors' offices. No, oh, I mean it, everyone's uh, going mobile and digital because if you're uh, a doctor. Um, you're backlogged on patients all the time. Um, and the, the more productive, the more patients you can see, the more folks that can get processed through your practice or your facility, the more revenue the business makes. So there's this trade-off of, of revenue and productivity versus security. And, and it's, it's a hard push and pull uh, on that risk management and risk balance uh, inside of whether it's a medical practice or, or any business out there. But the, the type of data in medical practices is uh, folks listening from a data classification perspective. Uh, you have medical records which contain facts. And you can't, if, if facts get out there and the information um, is now disclosed, you can't go cancel your fact that you, uh, I had shoulder surgery 20 years ago. Like, that's a fact. I can't go cancel the fact. If my credit card number gets out there, I can cancel that credit card. I can get a new credit card number and I can start over. So uh, you have these facts that are permanent. And, these, and this information, once it's out, it's gone for good. It's like your mother's maiden name. If you're a security engineer and you're using that for a security question, please stop. Because I can't go change my mother's maiden name. Like my mother's maiden name is going to be the same thing from now until the end of time. For security questions, use something that can change. Something that is temporary um, because those security questions could get compromised as well. So um, facts for authentication and, and is is risky and these information that are permanent facts, you've got really as a steward of that, you have to do um, more to safeguard it because once it's out there and exposed, uh, you can't put it back inside Pandora's box. And things like your medical records can have a dramatic uh, impact on somebody's life if that information is out there and uh, shared in a manner that they didn't get to control or disclose. 
Exactly. I mean, it, it, it goes, you know, you're looking at the insurance market and this whole, you know, there's a national debate about healthcare and whatnot, which is uh, not for this show. Uh, but the, you know, you've got insurance companies that have used information from, I'm not sure where, uh, that has been obviously disclosed somehow about, you know, pre-existing condition, you know, data that was very sensitive yeah. Uh, and once it's out, you know, you, you now have, you know, uh, a big problem if you're trying to get, you know, uh, health care or, or just kind of some kind of insurance. So uh, back to Brett's point around kind of that permanent nature. And, and I think that's why, you know, HIPAA is is a good framework. And, and like any framework, it it needs to const- constantly evolve to meet uh, where we're at. So every good law should be amended as things move and so with with the whole you know apps in hospitals that that's a new thing yeah and now Uh, the the internet of things hospitals i mean all of the equipment in the hospital or even devices on people it's i mean so many folks now carry a fitbit around so like you've got a, a low level medical device effectively there you're carrying on your person it's connecting back to your phone via bluetooth um and then it's your phone's connecting up to the internet and sharing that information um, but as you, you look at these medical Internet of Things, I mean, imagine if that was an insulin and a blood sugar meter and it was tied into your insulin pump and a hacker could get access to that now, um, a wrong dosage of insulin can be fatal. Uh, so uh, healthcare, it's, as you mentioned, it's interesting. The hospitals are still working their way online, but then you have doctors and patients that are demanding these apps. They're demanding easier uh, tests. They're demanding more automation. Because if you have diabetes and you don't want to have to stop multiple times a day to take tests, regulate your blood sugar, check all these things, it would be much easier and much more convenient if you could just have an Internet of Things device hooked up to you that just kept you at a good level all day and you didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but on what risk on the security side of these things? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that that's really i think the question of the day i mean it's it's actually an opportunity for the the healthcare industry to uh to make sure that you know th- they're bringing these new things online which the patients love uh the ho- the hospitals uh are, are are bringing those online and in a lot of cases you know back to the I, this internet of things so these small little devices that are connected but they're not very powerful or smart themselves they rely on you know, something smart that they're connecting to, you know, um, the, the interesting thing about that is that the, uh, the whole area is, is kind of ripe for, uh, you know, kind of a a booster shot in the security aspect. I mean, nobody is focusing, in my opinion, strongly on, you know, the security of, uh, IOT or, or Internet of Things applications, because uh, you know there's there's a you know there's other markets that are how would I say much more uh, much more attractive from a you know revenue perspective. So security companies uh, or or providers of security um, they tend to go after things uh, you know where you're able to get the maximum return for potentially uh, less effort, and so. I think it's an interesting kind of deal around where, you know, how does how do we get to the point where the healthcare industry demands more from their supply chain that the, the apps they use, you know, the 
maybe they'll buy an app that has to prove that it was built in a secure way, you know, uh, over a different app. So now you've got these these providers having to rethink uh, how they look at security. Uh, you know, it becomes a competitive advantage to offer your, you know, your your application as a as a provider that's got all of these things figured out. Uh, and so I think it, you know, it's really on the the consumer side, so the hospitals, doctors to to know that they have to ask those questions. Yeah, and there's uh, a a good group of folks out there uh, asking these hard questions. But as you've kind of talked about, if you've got security skills right now, uh, you're going to be taking the highest paying job that is out there in a lot of cases because there's good, fun, challenging work across all sorts of different industries uh, now from a cybersecurity perspective. This is a frequent topic for us here on the program. This is just about the education around uh, cybersecurity because there's hundreds of thousands of job openings now, and I believe that there's kind of a latent pool of maybe a million more job openings behind the scenes where folks would love to hire somebody with security expertise, but it either doesn't end up as a requirement for a job that gets posted, uh, or if it's a security-specific job, they just don't post it because they know they cannot find qualified candidates. So why do I tie up one of my recs with a, a job that I know I can't fill? And many large companies, hiring managers are given a pool of, of job openings. And if they set one as a security analyst or security engineer and they can't fill that, they can't hire and fill that with a software developer or a system administrator that maybe they could teach some security to. Um, or they could say, hey, can you be the software engineer that's going to try to help us make this stuff more secure? Um, so they'll fill it with a generic uh technical person and then look to try to train them in security. Uh, so this this skill shortage and this gap is causing uh, issues across many different industries. Uh, and and this is, is one why I'm a kind of a frequently recommend uh, folks choose, and in many cases they can, a software as a service solution instead of trying to build their own applications uh, because the, the software as a service providers uh, even as we talked about the Uber breach and these other things early on, they all have highly qualified security teams and they're working really hard at keeping these things as safe as possible. And they even still run into issues from time to time. But if uh, you're building software and you don't have a security engineer, if you don't know what static code analysis is, if you don't know what dynamic code analysis is, if you don't know what a white hat hacker is or white box testing or black box testing or any of these different things, if you don't have people on your team doing these things, you're not going to be in a spot where um, if an attacker decides to end up targeting you and they could do it on purpose um, because they want to go after your business or they could do it on accident because you just happen to fit a profile that their automated tools scanned and found. Uh, you should be yeah using software as a service solutions, uh, whether it's all the way to store your source code uh, all the way through to running your website. Uh, there's uh, little to no reason to host your own website anymore uh, unless uh, you, again, have your own team of web security experts. And then as you, you look at it, you may go like hosting this service or paying for this monthly subscription is more expensive than buying a, a server myself. But you really aren't looking at, at the whole suite of costs in there um, because from a security perspective, all the way from the, the hardware up through the operating system to the application, there's constant patching update and maintenance that has to happen uh, as new vulnerabilities are discovered at every layer and if you are not turning over and managing and maintaining all of those things again the hackers only have to find one chink in the armor they've only got to find one way to get to get in and you have to continually 
um, update, patch, and monitor all of these. The the U.S. cert mailing list, which uh, it, everyone, if you're paying attention to this stuff and working in this area, should subscribe to and monitor. Um, last week, there was uh, over 100 vulnerabilities released during Thanksgiving week. And if your team was not in reading them, understanding if they impact your business or not, and paying attention to those, then something could have come out over that holiday week where uh, your business is now at risk for some period of time. And it this is a, a constant ongoing uh, discovery of new defects uh, that leads to new risks that have to be uh, patched or mitigated, or you have to just uh, accept that maybe they're going to be out there and open. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, our company, I mean, uh, companies in, in the space, um, whether it's security or, or whatever you end up doing, you know, uh, we're working over the holidays. I mean, our systems or, or software or processes are working over the holidays. And so I think that's, that's really the key, right? Is you, you could be enjoying your, your Thanksgiving holiday, but your website uh, is, you know, be up to date because you've got a company that's really working twenty four seven. So yeah, you know, it, it kind of moves the, you know, you feel feeling good about it. Your Thanksgiving that you know your your stuff is secure. So that that's why people. I mean, that's why it's so popular nowadays. So yeah, and it's interesting on the computing side where folks have kind of felt this need to do it themselves because if you have a an office building, you probably hire an alarm company to monitor your physical alarm on the building to watch the cameras for you to take care of all those things to respond in the event of an incident uh, but then folks feel the need to, to do all of those activities for their own computer they monitor their own systems they respond to their own incidents um, and and it's one where nowadays uh, as I go out there and talk to to bank uh, executives they're not worried about Jesse James coming through the front door with a hood on anymore they're worried about the uh, cyber criminals coming in over the internet to their bank branches so um, those guys all now, uh, whether they're paying a third party or they've built their own teams, they are monitoring the your internet banking branch 24-7 um, and checking that and responding to alerts in real time because they, they have to because they know that's where the, the criminals are now. Um, many businesses that are outside of these highly regulated, super high-risk industries are still maybe paying for a physical alarm but not paying for their internet uh, to be monitored. Yeah, and it, and it's, that's... That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So uh, as you're out there, um, we've got some listeners with us that uh, maybe are interested in getting into working for a pure tech company. So maybe they're they're uh, in school now or they're working in a technology department of a, a business that does something else. What kind of big difference do you see or advice do you have for them to make that, that shift from school into a technology firm or uh, from a, a general business's technology department into a company that does nothing but tech all the time? Yeah. So, I mean, what I would say is, is around, uh, you know, again, it depends on the, the type of role, but let's say it's a, a technology te technical role. So something in the, the development or operations or DevOps um, area versus just business or sales, et cetera. It would be around, I, like, at least what we see is that there's a, you know, self-starter. So, you know, if, if you're able to uh, demonstrate, you know, a, a grasp of particular uh, new technology or, or, or you've built some new way of approaching a, a problem. So, you know, you may be working in a larger company and, uh, you know, while the, uh, the official line says, you know, there's not really any time or any need to change something, 
you know, you've gone out of your way to create kind of a better way of, of, of securing something or doing a process, you know, whether that's a university or like I said, an actual company, uh, demonstrating that or, or kind of showing that kind of initiative, uh, at least tech companies uh, in our, our size, you know, which are typically smaller, you know, less than a hundred people, um, small businesses, uh, that goes a long way. So the, the kind of pure academic, you know, I know every single new uh, acronym or technology that's out there, you know, those are important uh, at some level, but, uh, you know, I look for at least kind of initiative, uh, you know, almost like entrepreneurism internally, self-starter, self-motivating. So, um, you know, like I said, that, that kind of balanced with, with the skill set, you know, so there's, you know, if you're going to a, want to go into a web company, there's a list of, you know, web technologies. If you want to go into security, you know, it would be good to, you know, there's a lot of different online courses or, or code up academies or just even, you know, 90 day programs where you can get, you know, pretty good grasp on it and then take that learning and try to do something on your own. And then you can use that as almost like a resume. Yeah. No, it's uh, excellent advice. Uh, you can check out uh, our rebroadcasts of CyberTalk Radio, um, listen to things about uh, some of the programs at San Antonio College's area around here. Uh, other programs as well, uh, Code Up on the software development side or Open Cloud Academy on the system administration and uh, cybersecurity. Uh, thank you for joining us this week, and uh, thank you out there for listening to CyberTalk Radio.